You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined, of course, by my colleague Eric Henry. And we are excited to bring in today uh, former Alabama quarterback Greg McElroy. Of course, uh, you see him on ABC ESPN. He's a college football analyst extraordinary. In fact, he handled the Texas-Kansas game, which is the reason we wanted to get Greg onto the flagship podcast with some fresh thoughts about the Longhorns heading into their uh, Red River shootout with Oklahoma. Greg, welcome into the flagship podcast. I oh, appreciate it, guys. I've I've went and made it a point to uh to come find you, Chip, beforehand. I you guys helped me get prepped last week. Uh, I've been listening to you guys. Like I have all my little favorite teams and stuff. So uh, I listen to the podcast, and you guys do a great job. So I appreciate y'all letting me let me come on. And if my opinion's in line with a lot of y'all's, it's probably because you helped me reach it. Uh, well, <laughs> the last hey, several we'll, weeks, so we'll take that. It. We'll take that. Um, Greg, I love your analysis. You put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, and so, you know, wanted to get your thoughts after the Kansas game, after you'd seen them up close and personal, um, you know, just how good you think this Longhorns football team is. I think they're excellent. Um, if anything, I actually, on my own podcast today, released a, released a, uh, like re-ranking the top 25, kind of a first month report card, if you will. And I kind of was beating myself up over the fact that I was really high on Texas coming into the season, like really high, like was prepared to put them in like the top three because I felt like their roster was comparable to that of the unanimous top two in Georgia and Michigan. And I resisted because I had been told by everybody, well, we get burned by the horns. How can you put them up there? And I was just, I didn't trust my gut, but you look at the roster and just kind of what was back. And how they had been kind of preparing for this moment. I should have just followed my instinct and put them up there. Um, but I think the, they've done kind of, I can't say I'm surprised at all. They've kind of done what I've expected them to do. They've improved all the areas uh, that that they had a year ago. Uh, they've been more consistent. And then you kind of look last year too. It was just a little bit circumstantial for them to finish the way they finished. You know, I mean, you look at the score, you look at the record and you're like, well, you know, but I, I don't want to you know, shed light on it, but like, let's look at the Texas tech game. Like if Quinn Ewers is healthy, what's, what's the result? Uh, even the Alabama game last year, if Quinn Ewers is healthy, what's the result? Um, and look, we know, especially when it comes to Texas quarterbacks getting hurt, like you can't focus on that It's part of the game. And it's, it's just, it's an unfortunate reality, but this team wasn't as bad as they seemed last year. They were really close and they were really self-inflicted mistakes that led to the record being less than stellar. So can't say I'm surprised with what I've seen to this point. I do think there's holes, but they're smaller than most pretty much everywhere else that you see right now in the sport. Well, the holes, let's get into the holes because 
we got this undefeated showdown between Texas and Oklahoma. Um, where do you see the holes? Uh, I think the biggest holes are in the secondary right now. Um, I, I haven't seen an update, but if you guys can maybe enlighten me, is Ryan Watts good? Or is, is he okay? I, I haven't seen a recent update on on whether or not he's going to be available this weekend, but let's start there. He's still day-to-day. Okay. So I didn't. I mean, I didn't see anything in the game. I mean, he obviously limped off. Uh, obviously, JT Sanders, his injury was a little more pronounced. So, but I, we kind of kept looking back. It's like, what, what did Watts do? Um, so, long story short, I think the secondary is where you get him, uh, and and that's okay because I'm looking and I'm preparing to call Georgia this weekend, and I think the secondary is where you get Georgia. Like, I think the corners are a question mark. I'm watching LSU, Ole Miss corners, big question mark for LSU. I mean, I'm kind of looking all over the place, and really, there's not a lot of great secondary players right now in college football. There's not that Darrell Revis lockdown corner. So I think the spot where you have to get them is over the top. Uh, I think the safeties are excellent in run support, but I do think to an extent they're a bit of a liability in coverage. Um, I love Jalen Catalan. Like, I think he's an amazing football player and one that's just so fun to watch, but he's a hitter. You know what I mean? Like He's going to make the, the bang-bang play and knock the ball loose, and then sometimes he's going to knock it loose to the running back who scores. Uh, like we saw last week. Uh, I think Jaron Thompson is is pretty good with his eyes. I think he's pretty instinctive. Obviously, you know, had the interception against against Alabama that broke the game open to kind of set things up. Also had the pick six against Wyoming. Uh, so I think he's very instinctive. But if you put him on an island, as evidenced by last week, big post, you don't get a reroute by the second level defender and he's out the gate. So I do think the safeties are gettable, and I think you can get behind them in coverage. And I think on the on the outside, Baylor did it a couple of times. They couldn't block anybody to save their life. But Baylor did it a couple of times. They can win vertical behind these DBs. But I think that we're getting to the point now. I think Pete Kwiatkowski acknowledges this. I think Kirby Smart acknowledges this. All the best defensive coaches in college football. Nick Saban acknowledged this for a long time. If you look back at the 2019 LSU-Alabama game, the way Joe Burrow beat them is by throwing it over their head. Like They're going to say, all right, most college quarterbacks aren't going to be able to make that throw. Like that guy's going to miss it more than he's going to make it. So we'll roll the dice. If they throw it over our head, so be it. But you're not going to complete things underneath. You're not going to be able to complete back shoulders. You're going to complete the lower percentage throws. And if you do, so be it. So I think that's how you beat them. And the bad news is for Longhorns, I think that Oklahoma is capable of getting behind them and creating big plays. Eric? Greg, I kind of want to piggyback off, you know, one of those things in terms of a, a weakness. And I, I just want to get your perspective on this. It, it, Texas has had some red zone struggles. I had 21 red zone tries. They've had 14 touchdowns, five field goals. When Steve Sarkeesian was asked about that uh, during last week's presser after following the Kansas game, you kind of, you know, no 5-0 and coach wants to hear about a deficiency, right? They're talking about, hey, we're 5-0. and uh, you know, you can make stats anything you want, but just want to get your perspective in a game like this, where you know it's probably Texas's toughest test to date. How much do you read into the fact that they've had some red zone inefficiencies and you know potentially trading three for threes for sevens? Well, I think part of it has to do with they didn't run the ball real well up until the last couple of weeks. You know, in the red zone, you got to get the tough yardage. Um, so I think that in the last couple of weeks, obviously, it's been a totally different animal. We know that Jonathan Brooks has really come into his own. Uh, we know the offensive line and look most shoot. Michigan hasn't looked good up front. Alabama hasn't looked good up front. Georgia hasn't looked good up front. They've lost a tackle. Like, they, like nobody's offensive line is looking great right now. 
um, especially as far as run game is concerned. In September, if you look great running the football, it's like, all right, well, something's going to happen because it's just to, to gel that quickly, knowing how few practices you now have in fall camp, that group's usually a little bit behind, uh, which is not super uncommon. Um, so I'm not going to lose a ton of sleep over it because I do think they're rounding into form as far as being able to run against the competition that they're likely going to see in the big 12. Now you get to a game against Michigan in the playoff. Yeah. I mean, that's that I'd be concerned. Um, but for the most part, I think that they will be okay given the level of competition that they'll have to play on a week to week basis in the big 12. Like Cincinnati's got a great front. Um, BYU's pretty decent up front. Kansas state obviously does a really good job up front. Oklahoma's improved up front, but we're not talking about the groups that you'll see when you get to the highest levels of the sport. Um, so I do think that's part of it. I still think that Quinn Ewers is in the process of being more comfortable and anticipating throws. He's throwing the ball sooner. I actually had our ESPN stats and information folks track it throughout the game last week and really throughout the first five games of the year. He on average, now, you know, take it however you want the average time that went between when he caught this, when the ball was snapped to when he released it in 2022 was 2.6 seconds. This year, he's around 2.3. And then actually against Baylor, it was his best performance of the year as far as getting the ball. It is 2.19. So he's doing a much better job of getting rid of the ball, being decisive, anticipating throws, and cleaning things up and everything in the red zone happens faster. Uh, so I do think that that's a bit of a work in progress right now. Uh, he's still a young quarterback. I know he started a lot of games. I know everyone looks at him. He's a third year player. I know he's in, you know, NFL draft boards and stuff like that, but he's still pretty young. So maybe he's not seeing it quite as quickly as you'd like. Um, I also think too, in the red zone, AD Mitchell's a long target. Uh, I, I think he needs more looks in the red zone. Look, Xavier Worthy is an amazing, amazing weapon. Like, but he's more of an open field weapon. He's not your red zone weapon in my in my eyes. Jatavion Sanders, red zone weapon for sure. Um, I think involving some of the bigger bodies is going to be valuable. And then Whittington, I think he has what one touchdown this year, maybe zero. I don't even know. He's been a non-factor down there too. So I think designing ways to get your bigger body receivers involved in the red zone will be valuable to them as they move forward as well. Talking to Greg McElroy, ESPN college football analyst, um, of course, was the quarterback on the Alabama national championship team that beat Texas in 2009, about the last time that Texas was relevant in college football. Certainly. They're always relevant, Chip. Well, they're whether relevant. they're good, whether they're good, it's a big the last time they were right. a factor in, in college football. Right, right. Um, I couldn't believe it. I was looking it up. This Texas has not beaten OU in consecutive years since 08, 09. Um, and that is probably pretty telling about where Texas has been uh, since that. But, Greg, um, you know, no question, Dylan Gabriel's the best quarterback that Texas has faced up to this point in the receiving core for OU. Entrell Anthony coming in from Michigan. Um, this kid, Nick Anderson, who looks like Brandy Moss. I don't know if he can you know, run like him or, or what, but he's got five touchdown catches already. You know, talk about 
that matchup, the Texas defense, if you think the OU offensive line can protect Dylan Gabriel enough because their running game isn't where it's been, um, you know, in recent years, how do you see that matchup? I think that's the key. I mean, every time, if I had to game plan Texas's defense, like the biggest concern I have is can we block them? You know, can we block them? Because I do believe that with how they roll players, I mean, they're playing a lot of guys. I mean, just a ton of substitutions. They have great depth on the front. I mean, on the depth chart that Sark handed to us, uh, you know, I know that they don't formally put out a depth chart, but like there's like six deep at every position. It's like, coach, like, come on, man. Like, I haven't seen this guy all year. Like, I mean, and I mean, I think I think Anthony Hills listed as like a third string will. It's like I see him a lot, you know, so I don't know if necessarily the depth chart is a great indicator. But then you're looking through. It's like, oh, I got to add. I got to add him. I got to add. So I got 41. I got 88. I got 93. I got 90. I got 91. But you better be prepared for this. It's like they just have a lot of guys that they're rolling in there. So they never really get to a point in which they're uh, fatigued. They get off the field in a pretty good way, too, when they have to substitute against tempo teams. Uh, They're clearly comfortable using tempo to their advantage offensively, and it's clear that they work it in practice because substitutions have not been an issue for them, at least in in the games that I've watched uh, up to this point. So the first thing I would do when trying to game plan Texas, how do we block them? Uh, The guy that scares me to death is number 90, Byron Murphy, because there's not much you can do for an interior pass rusher. I mean, what do you do? Like tell the running back to help your center? Like, I mean, it's like, I mean, that ain't going to happen. So I need to know that my center can win that battle, which is a huge issue. Um, I also know that number 88, uh, Sorrell, is is a problem, a relentless, relentless guy. Uh, I know that I need to account for him. And if my tackles are susceptible to power rushers with some speed, I got to leave a tight over there to help because I know that could be a problem. Uh, when they get in their third down stuff and we get number zero in the game, I know that number zero is going to loop around and rush inside. Like they're going to create a game for him. So, and they're going to create a lot of traffic for him to get and use his speed because he's not the guy that right now is going to create his own shot. Like he, he needs, he needs a pick and roll. Uh, if we're going to use basketball terms, like he needs a pick and roll to get to the hoop right now. And maybe as he develops, he'll be able to create his own shot and can get to the hole against anybody, but he's not there just yet. So I know that those are the three guys that are keeping me up at night as far as the pass rush is concerned. As far as the run game is concerned, all right, I do not want to run at 93. He's too big. Uh, it's just you're not going to go move him. He's he's too athletic for a guy that's 360, doesn't play that way. I mean, Tavondre Sweat, I think he's had a really good year. Um, I know that I also need to be real mindful of getting to the second level because Ford is so quick and so instinctive. Like he's going to get where he needs to go to make sure that if he, if 93 can eat a couple blockers, then that means 41 is free and he's going to make the play. So I got to account for him, which means I'm probably going to run on the perimeter a lot. Uh, That's where I'd live. Uh, I'm not trying to run it up the middle on these guys. I have to do it just to keep them honest, but that's not where it's going to happen. And then I have to move the pocket. So I'd probably do with a lot of bootlegs. I'd probably do a lot of misdirection, jet sweep running right to left, fake the jet sweep, get the linebackers flowing, and then boot the other direction. I'm going to go sprint outs, uh, and I'm going to try to, as best I can, 
change the launch angle for my quarterback. Dylan Gabriel is not a tall guy. You don't want him just living in the pocket. Uh, you want to move him a little bit and get him off the spot. And that way, if he's unpredictable where he's setting up to throw, the pass rushers won't be able to rush to the same spot every single time. So that's kind of what I would do to try to neutralize that pass rush because let's be real. I don't care if you have Oklahoma out there, or the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the best offensive line maybe of all time. Uh, you're not going to be able to block these guys for 70 plays in the game. It's just they're they're gonna they're gonna get free and they're gonna get some shots and they're gonna win some one on one. So uh, I think you got to be real smart about how you game plan against them uh, and not give them the same look too often because they'll start to tee off and and obviously get you in in less than stellar situations. All right, let's grab a quick break here on the flagship podcast. Talking to Greg McElroy. Uh, we'll be right back. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, we will roll on. Real quickly, um, Greg, you know, Brent Venables carries a lot and uses it. Steve Sarkeesian carries a lot. Both of these guys have a philosophy of the more we can do, the harder we are to defend. Can you talk about that matchup that, you know, Brent Venables, what he's bringing with this OU defense? Well, the one thing I will say about playing against Brent Venables, and I never played against him, but um, I've studied him enough, whether it be at Clemson or Oklahoma or, gosh, just studied him over the years and seen him play and call a lot of games. Um, I think the one thing that's difficult with him is he's a defense that wants to dictate. Uh, he wants to overload your protections. He wants to get a beat on your signals. And and if you adjust, he's going to adjust. He has really smart linebackers. That's like a a uh, bread and butter staple dating all the way back to his time at Clemson. Like he has really smart linebackers that get you into the right situation. And if he has a pressure, he wants a pressure called. Uh, it's just what side is the pressure coming from and which of the two, which of the two guys or three guys that he's going to bring. So that's, you know, that's coming. You got to be really good with your overloads. Um, he's going to overload your protection. So you got to understand where your outlets are as a quarterback. You got to know where your quick throws are. Um, but I would think in a game like this, I would think that Brent Venable is probably going to play it a little bit more conservatively. That's what I would do if I were him. Because if you all of a sudden try to start teeing off 
and all of a sudden you start trying to heat up Quinn and force Quinn into mistakes, which I, I think that's a good plan, by the way. That's what I would do. But I also know that if I get overly aggressive, I get burned. Now I'm playing from behind, and now we're in, now we're in a tough spot. Uh, so I do think it's very, very important for him to kind of maybe play it, play it close, get a feel for how the game's going to be played, see how his offense does. Um, because if this all of a sudden becomes a track meet, then then you can get more aggressive because your offense, you're confident in your own offense and being able to score. So I think he's probably going to be conservative, bend, don't break early on, and then adjust as he kind of figures out how his offense is going to be able to move the ball. So um, it's going to be a great game of cat and mouse. Um, and, it, you know, two great minds on their side of the ball with, with what Sark does and how he creates formations and how he motions and creates matchups. And he's going to get your one-on-ones. He's going to get his shots. Uh, but now he's complementing the run game with it as well. So I think the first thing for Venable, stop the run, 100%. Have to stop the run. Uh, if Jonathan Brooks gets off, it's over. I mean, it's as simple as that. If he goes for 150, it's it's just, you know, it's going to be really hard to beat Texas uh, if they can create that balance. Because you know they're going to have some explosive plays down the field. So I think he'll start out selling out against the run and, and probably not overpowering the Texas team with pressures um, and just kind of see how it figures out. And then second quarter, that's when I'd get ready to to ratchet up some of the pressure and start to see where things are going to go. Eric? Greg, the status of Texas tight end Jatavian Sanders, uh, Steve Sarkeesian told us on Monday, we get an update on Thursday. So still up in the air to see whether or not he will play. But uh, I want to ask you, what did you make of Texas's offense without him on the field? Something I've written about extensively on the side is Texas usage of 12 personnel, usually with Sanders and our reserve tight end Gunnar Helm, but you know, yeah. they were able to do it with Gunnar Helm and Malik Agbo. Just want to get your thoughts on Texas without JT and, and their 12 personnel look. Well, the I mean... I think Ogbo is interesting, you know, and before him, it was South Lake boy, Andre Carrick. Right. So, um, I think I, I like the jumbo tight end. I always have liked it. I think it just gives you a presence on the edge that is difficult to account for. I think it takes a different skill set. It takes a different guy that's willing to do it. Ogbo is obviously willing to be that guy, but against, against Kansas, you need the hammer because they're a team that you can out physical. Um, they're just not as big. They're not as deep. And at that point, when he started playing extensive snaps, I think at that point, you know, they had been on the field like 60 snaps, <laughs> you know, so they were running on empty uh, as far as their fumes. Cause they just don't roll guys the way Texas does. So um, I think that's an important piece in this game, but if Venables does a good job with substitutions, you put a jumbo tight end in there with Gunner helm, you're going to get big body personnel on defense. If I'm Texas, I want to play more in 11 this week. I want one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers, because then Brent Venables will play his nickel and five DBs in the field and just more of a little bit more predictable look. And I would try to run it out of 11 and throw it out of 12. That, that's what I would do. Um, against some of these defensive coordinators that are very specific with their substitutions, that's how I attack it. Against Kansas, they're going to play their, tw- their 11 guys. They're, it's what they do. Like their 11 guys are going to play. They only have 11 players that they really roll. Um, so you're not going to get as many substitutions. So I would get in 12 and run it down their throat. But with this group, because they do have some situational specific players, I think 12 is your passing group and 11 is your running group. And specifically 12 with Ogbo in the game. I'd love for JT Sanders to be available. I just think he's a bigger matchup nightmare than 
than Gunnar Helm, who has progressed. I got to give him credit. He's gotten a, he's gotten a lot better. Uh, but I would I would love it if JT was available this week. I just based on how my like I'm not a doctor. Um, I, it looked like in the high ankle sprain to me based on how he went down. It wasn't that dissimilar to what we saw with Duke's quarterback a little later in in the day last weekend. Just kind of get rolled up on the inside. Uh, I'd be surprised if he's full go. He might play, but I can't imagine he's going to be the Jatavion Sanders that that we see on a week-to-week basis. Greg, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, I think it's going to be a really uncomfortable game for both teams. Um, I think Texas is is in... It's a weird situation because for the first time in a long time, uh, it feels like Texas has everything to lose, and Oklahoma, even though they're 5-0, and is playing with house money. It's very strange. Um, because I would think like both teams are five and oh, they both have a lot to lose, but everyone's circled this year for Texas. Like this is the year, this is the year, this is the year. So I just want to see them come out and perform freely without any pressure whatsoever. But I think it's going to be a little tight because if I'm Oklahoma, I'm taking the ball. And if I win the toss, I'm taking the ball. I want to put Dalen Gabriel out there. I want to create some big plays and hopefully Quinn Ewers won't take the field until they're down seven, nothing. If I'm Oklahoma, that's my play. Um, I actually, this is one of those weird games where I think the coin toss is actually really important. Uh, you know, like I don't, this, you will break this thing down in every possible way over the next few days. I know you guys will too, but I would take the ball. Whoever gets the ball first, I think, uh, does have a little bit of an advantage, especially as far as the mindset goes in this one. Um, but I think it's going to come down to the wire. I mean, I think Texas is deeper. People have questions about Oklahoma's defense after how they played in the first half against Iowa state last week. But I, I go back and I look at it and it was really three plays that kind of broke it open. They gave up like 160 yards on three plays. Um, and that that's, you know, if they do that, they're in trouble, but they really buttoned down the hatches after the first quarter, first, you know, quarter and a half or so. And, you know, they went however many minutes in a row without allowing hardly anything defensively. So they settled down a little bit. Um, but I think they'll have a great plan. I mean, there's no doubt this one's been circled for a year. Uh, I called the game last year and it was a complete beatdown. Uh, so knowing that they've had all off season to hear about the worst loss in the history of the red river rivalry and, uh, the worst performance as a team since 1998, this is a big one for them. Uh, and I think just to show progress, I think Texas gets it, but I think it's, I think it's within a touchdown. I think this game's coming down to the wire. Uh, and I would expect it to be, everyone thinks it's going to be super high scoring. I don't necessarily see it that way. I, I think that both teams are understanding that, Hey man, a mistake could blow this thing open. They're going to be aggressive, but cautious in, in the shots and the, and the one-on-ones they try to take advantage of. And, and every drive that ends in a kick could be a good one. So I'm kind of thinking in the vicinity of like a, I, I kind of see it like a 31, like a 31-27 Texas is kind of how I see it. And that's obviously under the assumption that Burt Auburn nails one, which has not necessarily been a guarantee uh, the last couple of weeks. So kind of thinking like 31-27 Texas and, and what should be a back and forth and a, and a really impressive game. I think it's good and important for the sport for both teams to look good in this one on Saturday. Eric? Greg, just one quick follow-up in, in terms of my question earlier with the red zone. I do want to ask you this, and it does sound that you feel pretty confident that Texas will get the red zone struggles worked out but just you know hypothetically speaking let's say it's a struggle all year 
do you feel that it, it's sustainable that Texas's offense in terms of the big plays, whether it be, be a Jonathan Brooks or an A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy, we've seen, you know, a lot of those chunk plays all year. Do you believe that's sustainable uh, I mean, for the you know long haul? Well, one thing that I would strongly consider, and look, I'm not trying to tell Steve Sarkeesian how to call offense. You know, like that guy's forgotten more offensive football than, than I've ever learned or, or known. Uh, but one thing that I've seen a lot of teams do that are that are struggling in the red zone, um, they put in a more dynamic quarterback for a quarterback run. And we know Quinn Ewers has has been, you know, willing to to run the football this year, but he's not Malik Murphy. Um, so maybe that's something that if it continues and if it continues to be a bit of a storyline, uh, put Malik in there and let's see if if on design quarterback runs with an extra blocker which forces you to have an extra hat in the box uh, and design quarterback runs, you know, can he maybe create a little bit? I'd put that guy in there for quarterback. I'd have a package for him anyways. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't have a package right now. He might have one and maybe we just haven't seen it and they're saving it for, for a a, a rainy day, but I'd get that guy involved uh, just as a runner design quarterback runs and, and just see if you can't maybe create, uh, an extra hat on a hat to account for as the field condenses. So that's what I would do. That would be my changeup if it continues to be an issue. All right, Greg. Last thing I promise. Um, the 2009 National Championship game. What a what a wild uh, scene uh, for Texas fans, especially. But it was, um, you know, I think Mac Brown feels like he had the team to get it done. They didn't. What what stands out to you? Um, in terms of memories about that game, it was obviously a magical night for the uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Well, I mean, goodness, I mean, there's goodness. There's so many things that stand out. Uh, it was an emotional game um, for for a lot of us. Well, I mean, I knew Colt, so Colt and I went back to high school, and you know, had gotten to know him over the years. So I was bummed that he got hurt. Obviously, that was a bummer. The game just completely flipped when that when that went down. Um, we basically kind of said, all right, you know, we're not even going to try to throw it. Let's just, let's just run the ball. Uh, we had a decided advantage at the line of scrimmage running the football. We knew that, um, they made some adjustments in the second half and, and we didn't necessarily counter punch the way we probably should have, uh, looking back at it, but it was a, I mean, it was, it was just a dis, it was when you get Texas and Alabama in a national championship game, like you want it to be good on good. And unfortunately for Texas, like they were playing pretty much the whole game with one arm tied behind their back. No disrespect to Garrett Gilbert, but that was just not going to be a fair fight. I mean, we didn't even do anything offensively. Uh, and, and we were able to score 37 because we got the short field the whole time. And we had all these cool plays in. I'm still kind of disappointed we didn't, we didn't get to use any of them. They had like, you know, bootleg setup, throwbacks and like double moves with Marquise Mays, our speed guy to get Blake Gideon, who's now a safeties coach in a one-on-one. And it was like, we had a lot of cool stuff that we didn't even try um, because it really wasn't beneficial to try. Uh, why involve Earl Thomas in the game if you don't have to, uh, you know, or Aaron Williams, who was a really good corner uh, and Julio, you know, had a tough draw that day against Aaron. So, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a little anticlimactic in a way. Um, because, you know, Texas is my childhood team and, and I wanted to beat them at full strength. And, you know, I had several friends and family that were up there wearing orange, not, not family, but a lot of friends that were, that were wearing burnt orange that night. And, you know, you certainly felt for them. Uh, but it was, 
fun to restore glory to a program that had been kind of, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, average for the better part of two decades. And, and to see now what it's become, it's, it's obviously been very special. And the championship, too, like when you're in it, you just did your job. You know what I mean? It's like we won. Like we did our job. Like well, it was like we we're almost more relieved than we were happy. You know what I mean? It's like, well, we're relieved. This is great. We did it. Let's go back to work tomorrow and clean up some of the things we didn't do so well. Uh, so there was a sense of relief after the game. Um, but it's really gotten sweeter with time. because so I've seen great teams in recent years fail and, and we didn't. You know, so I think it's one of those that I've grown to appreciate it more over the course of the last 10 years than maybe it was the night that we actually brought it home. So it, hey, it's, you know, it's a special thing. It's a career defining moment. And I will always be a, a national championship winning quarterback, which um, is pretty special. There's not a lot of guys that had that designation. I'm very, very grateful to have been a part of a team that, that was able to bring one home for sure, even though it was obviously against, uh, against a team that, you know, I, I always still annually cheer for and always want the best for. Well, you, uh, you do an excellent job. Um, and it's, it's so much fun to get the chance to, to talk to you because, um, I just, you know, I think you really put in the work and, um, really appreciate you taking some time with us today. Well, appreciate you guys. Thank y'all for having me. Thanks for all your great work, man. I look forward to seeing you guys again soon. All right. For Greg McElroy, for Eric Henry, I am Chip Brown. Thanks for listening to the flagship podcast. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith.